Hi, I'm Shreen Patek, and this is Making Marketing. On today's episode, marketing one of the world's largest beer brands in one of the world's largest beer markets. Johnny Cahill is the very new U.S. CMO at Heineken, and he's taken the job after a few years at Heineken's global headquarters in Amsterdam, and is coming on board as the brewer also brings on a new U.S. CEO in the form of Maggie Timoney. On this episode, we discussed Heineken's new global focus, how the brand is taking back control, and whether Tiger is better than Tecate. Hi, Johnny. Welcome to Making Marketing. Hey, how are you? Nice to meet you. I'm very good. We're excited to have you. So Heineken US, a couple of sort of, actually a few big things have happened and I've want, I wanted to kind of go through them. But the, the first big one is obviously you coming on board and Maggie becoming the first female CEO of a major beer brand and also just being an awesome CEO. Tell me a little bit about sort of this sort of pretty big leadership shuffle as I yeah. see it and how how that's gone and how that sort of changed and started changing the company. Sure. I mean, I think the one thing to note about Heineken that might be different to other organizations is we are incredibly international. We sell our beer in 192 countries, um, you know, based out of Amsterdam. So there's always been, always been a very global and international feel to what we do. So within the Heineken organization, we have a lot of expatriates. We believe that diversity in our management teams helps to grow our business. So you will find folks from all over the world, all over the world in different roles. Um, So there is a natural cadence to the changes that happen in our management team it's not an intervention to change up our management team, but there are big fundamental changes. You've got a new CMO. I'm here about 10 weeks. We've got Maggie coming in in early September, which we're super excited about. So, of course, those changes bring a new focus. They bring a different set of ideas. And your objective really and your hope is that you build on the good stuff that you find, but also bring a new and fresh perspective to, to, to the table. Um, but unlike in other organizations where a new CMO, a new CEO might feel like a fairly serious intervention in your business, that's actually more about how the Heineken organization runs. Our tenures at a management level tend to be three, four, five years because we believe that the experiences you learn in other countries benefit you as a professional. And that's by design. So. It's by design. We we were doing expatriatism long before it was a thing uh, because actually historically they we were Dutch uh, entrepreneurs. So it was about going to places to bring the beer. Um, and the, the belief on our HR side and, and in our business is that, you know, my experience as an Irish guy, but who lived in Russia for, you know, for the company will help me to be a better CMO in the USA and that wherever I go next in, in due course, you know, I'll benefit from what I did here. So we look for continuity. It's not quick fixes, but there is a natural cadence to the change ups in our team. That said, we've got a lot of new people coming. So uh, it's going to be an Still exciting learning time. learning the names. Yeah, exactly. We have the name badges out right now. So uh, but we're getting there. So on that international, I mean, the US although remains just such a different market, when it, especially in your category, especially in beer than it is in other places. From a marketing perspective, what has surprised you or what do you see as, you know, a challenge here that you need to overcome that just didn't exist, you know, in your prior roles because you were in Amsterdam or you were in Russia? Um, that's different here. Yeah, I think there's it's definitely challenging. Let's not forget it's an enormous beer market and it's a profitable beer market. And with profit and scale comes competition. So when we sit as a marketing function, go, it's really tough in the US. You better believe it's really tough because it's it's the major leagues and there's a lot of money and volume and consumers to play for. So you got to expect it to be tough. I think at a category level, though, there's a unique challenge here, which is we know if you look to the Nielsen data, but also if you just look to your friends, you know, consumers commonly 
known as people. They are shaken let's, up. Let's agree to call them people. Yeah, let's call Shall them people. Okay. I, I like that. I'm excited. I mean, I think, okay. Yeah, like your mom and your sister and your mailman. You know, they're not consumers. They're people. And so what they're doing is they're drinking from a wider repertoire of different drinks. And we don't want people to only drink beer. But we do want beer to be their favorite thing. And as a category, uh, we collectively have work to do. So we have to make sure that beer continues to resonate as everybody's favorite drink um, in a way that it connects people and helps them to socialize, but grow the category. And then we'll grow our brands within that. And I think we've lost a little bit of ground to, to wine and to liquor. And you see that in the bars and you see that in the restaurants. And we have work to do, the, the collective we. Um, so there's definitely an industry if you will, imperative to, to make us resonate again with a younger audience, with a millennial audience, or with people who've maybe fallen a little bit out of love with the category. Mm -hmm. So that's a big challenge because it's not only a responsibility for me as the brand, as the brand's owner at the Heineken organization, whether it's Heineken or Mexican brands, it's a category responsibility, but one we take seriously. What's exciting though because you started with what's great about the us is it's so responsive so for all the competitive nature that you see what i am amazed by is how quickly brands and markets and performance can turn so when you do good work the people respond. Do you they, have an example? Well, we just launched Dos Equis our, uh, to a new campaign back in March called Interessante. So, and, and authentically, we'd come from a history of working with the most interesting man in the world, one of the most iconic advertising campaigns of all time, arguably. And we moved to a new campaign and the brand had been under, you know, quite some pressure and market share and just resonance and finding its way again. And boom. It's it's flying. Uh, it's back. We see growth in the on trade. It's up 5% year to date in the on trade. But we only started in March. And in many other markets, it takes months and months and months for the campaigns and the actions to resonate. And the, the, the people follow slowly. The consumer or the market share follows slowly. What's super exciting about the US is if you do good work, things bounce quickly. Now that, of course, works on both sides of the coin. But if as a marketeer, work. yeah, if you do bad work, it'll probably bounce the other way. But isn't that what we as CMOs want? You, but that lets you test more here, I assume. Like you're, I know you've always, you've been sort of a very vocal proponent of an innovation agenda and that yeah. being an important part of your role as a CMO. So you can, sometimes when people say innovate, they really mean, you know, try a bunch of things and hope some of them work and some of them won't work. But is there a better sort of feedback loop, a quicker feedback yeah, loop here? Yeah, it's super fast and you get it really quickly. Um, it's like in, in, in that moment when you know there's a fish on the line and, and it's the weight of the pull that tells you like, whoa, we've, we've got something here. And you get that feeling very quickly here. Because in one way, we're fortunate we've got a distributor network who understand, you know, just absolutely fundamentally the industry they've been doing it for a long time they know and they hear it and they feel it we get feedback from the stores we get feedback you know from our online channels that tell us much more quickly so in one way and you'll have heard a bunch of cmos sitting in this uh, in this studio with you saying oh it's got really difficult and you know it used to be so simple but we used not to know what was going on. You were waiting for a year to find out from Nielsen what was going on. Now we know in weeks. And but that's you don't exciting. know if it's right. You don't, but you know if you're getting traction. And I think that it, that then requires bravery. you got to stick the pace. You've got to decide, you know, are we going to commit to this? Have we seen enough? But any CMO who tells you they, they have cast iron guarantees on, on what's going to work, you don't get them. So you have to be prepared to build the right strategy, 
do the planning and do the the work before you go so it's not reckless because that's not appropriate but you also have to have commercial bravery to do things that are going to change the game so we just talked a little bit about the dosa keys campaign um tell me a little bit about overall kind of heineken us and how you sort of see your marketing spend how has that changed and shifted over time and sort of where do you see it going from here yeah i mean if i look again you mentioned sort of the u.s market and how competitive it is, our, our spend as a percentage of revenue here in the US would be amongst our highest in the world because it's a very competitive environment. Um, I think what we see is not the either or um, sort of dichotomy that we often find in the past. Are you doing more digital? Is television dead? It just simply isn't that simple. It's and, and. And what we see, though, is that the, the, the marketing budget, the media budgets are segmenting, of course, and fragmenting a bit. Um, but it's a collective strategy you're trying to deploy. So in what media do you show up? Um, but it's not we only do digital, we only do TV. We're looking to balance, broadly brand build across a balanced range of assets. So we spend a lot of money on experiential, for example. Historically, the Heineken brand particularly has always been about world-class experiences, whether that's Formula One, whether that's Champions League, but whether that's Major League Soccer, you know, which over-indexes with millennials, which over-indexes in the urban markets in which we are very much present. What we do with properties like that is really driving the agenda for us. So in our, our investment, of course, has increased over time. I'd love to give you the number, but somebody will fire me. Um, but at the same time, it's how we do what we do. And what I'm trying to help my team and my colleagues to do is to think about how fortunate we are to have such resources to invest into the market. Let's not be casual with the money. We have Major League Soccer. Well, one, let's not waste it. Let's not waste it. But. Because there is a lot of wastage. And that's one thing that sort of happened with digital too. I think more and more CMOs are waking up to the fact that looking even just at digital, that turns out a lot of money was being wasted. There was a lot that just wasn't working and they didn't know about it. Now they have to get it to work. And now we have technology partners who help us to know if it's being wasted. And, you know, was there a bit of a black hole in that space while we all learned how to manage it? Yes, there was. In the same way that when we invented television, we used to broadcast pictures of a radio show and because people didn't know what to do with the medium. So we're also learning. Um, is it true to say that every dollar we've deployed in the digital world has landed? Absolutely not. It also never all landed on television. So these things are in one way all new and in another way, same old, same old. You're an optimist. I am an optimist. That's unusual. We got to get better at it. That's that's what I think. But ultimately, it's about balance. And, you know, you will have been through the last couple of years in the industry where there is that debate is either or. And for us, it's and and. But the fundamentals of building brands and beer remain the same. Make people smile. One thing, though, that sort of I have noticed in overall, and actually Heineken's talked about this uh, in various ways, is sort of do we, and this is a struggle, right? Do we move away from sort of the days of hyper-targeting? Do we move away from sort of mass reach? What happens? Or does that mean, you know, pulling money off TV to Google and Facebook? Does that mean kind of going for the wide versus the narrow? And you've seen some brands, especially brands in CPG, really push for, you know what, some of this is just not going to work and we have to pick a strategy and stick to it and see if it works. Yeah. What is, what's your plan? I mean, our, our plan is a mixed strategy. So we don't see it as a sort of a pendulum that's swinging from left to right. And, and it's interesting you talk about stick. Um, you've got to have a consistency. Um, you've got to make sure that you're talking to a wide reach and a wide consumer base. But we know and we believe as an organization that 
people are drinking from a repertoire. I mean, it's not that the only thing you drink is Heineken or Dos Equis or Tecate. I think that's a really unrealistic expectation. Of course, we have people who truly love the brand and, and they never buy another beer, but, but they are in the minority. And there's also people who don't even know that Tecate... You know, and they, it's a portfolio company. It's a portfolio company. And I don't walk to the uh, to the detergent aisle and say, oh, I wonder what Unilever have for me. Right. I look to what are the brands. That's what make people, that's what people engage with and that's what they care about. So for us, we have a different media strategy by brand, depending on the profile of those consumers, um, ethnicity, uh, location, you know, geography, but also passion points. And we try to go back to fundamental principle, which is what is the connection moment? Like, what do they care about? And then where do we show up? Because so much of the debate has been, what? Are, how are you deploying your media? But the real question is, what do they care about? And therefore, where are they? And what are the right channels? Mm-hmm. So everybody wants to target millennials. I mean, who doesn't? Okay, you're not going to meet a CMO. So it's not so pushed on the millennials. You know, millennials, not, no big deal. Of course, it's a big deal. But you've got to go back maybe to the, the fundamentals. Maybe the like ARP or something. I was trying yeah, to find somebody who would work. Yeah, and maybe... It'd be weird if he was targeting millennials. Yeah, maybe one day down the line, we, we get that role and we can all chill out, you know? So that, that would be a lot of fun when we get there. And I know some people at Heineken, so I'll have free beer by the time I'm that age. But... I, I think we have to go back and sort of make this sim- more simple again, which is not get in our own way and sort of try to pretend that we have the absolutely perfect solution for a new and emerging media landscape. Yeah. We've got to go back to core fundamental principles. What makes people smile? What do they care about? And can you show up in the places where they expect to see you? Okay. So w- when you look to something like our work on Major League Soccer, it makes a lot of sense for us when you profile its growth, its innovative it's on the rise, it's millennial, it's urban. Sounds a lot like Heineken to me. That makes a lot of sense. And then knowing those two things, we can find the right media choices. So that's really how we're trying to approach it. So a lot of this is actually coming down to, I'm going to use the word data. I know it's like consumers, but it does come down to data, right? It, it's about if, if, and I've heard a lot of people now say, we need to get back to the basics of knowing who our consumers or people are, what, what they care about, and then accordingly decide media budgets. But that's also difficult to do. It is difficult to do. How do you do it? Well, it depends on the industry that you're in. I mean, I, when I, it's very scary because how much first party data do we hold and what's our first party data strategy? And are we actually the right people to hold a large data lake and a reservoir and maintain that and activate it? In the it? category you're in, I'd assume not that not much really. first party well, data. Let's also remember that we're 150 years old and we're brewers. So, you know, it is first party. I'm not sure that uh, the Heineken family, when they started out in Amsterdam back in the day, were thinking like, what's our first party data strategy? We were just trying to make amazing beer that Things made people Things were simpler smile. back then. I'm sure they had, you know, they were looking <laughs> for ice and, and, and they didn't have electricity all the time. So you always have your problems, you know? But what we try to do is make sure that we have very high quality first party data when we hold it so if i uh, you know if i if i take our opportunity it, we're very fortunate in that we deliver experiences and we have a very engaged category so much as i'm interested in the brands at kimberly clark uh, people are super engaged and they're passionate about our category and our brands so when we capture get or elicit first party data, it's usually of a very high quality. And that's an interesting word because you don't always hear the word quality in data strategy. You hear the word quantity and millions and how many. 
Well, how good is often also a very important question. How are you ensuring that? Well, let, let's take a real example because I'm going to give you data strategy, and you and I can talk about what the book says. Uh, you know, but what we've never read. Really stop listening. It's never re- exactly, and it's really dull. Um, but I'll give you a real live example. If you're a season ticket holder at New York City FC, right here up the street, and we are the Major League Soccer sponsor and Heineken is the brand of choice, and it over-indexes with people who watch MLS and are passionate about NYCFC. If we can connect those dots and bring people to those games and obviously build a lasting relationship, either by watching, engaging, or being at NYCFC, they'll be, we'll be able to talk to those consumers and people for a very, very long time. Because we didn't find you off the back of your Spotify feed. We found you at a passion point for you that we share. And people recognize that. They know why you're in their lives. And if you have better data, then you have a chance. And of course, like all big CPG organizations, we will also do the quantitative buys and we'll make sure that we're present and we'll buy a little bit of the volume because you have to. And you will supplement some of this with you know, Facebook data and all of all of the sort of interest graphs and everything that's coming with that. Of course. And that can't be replaced by any means. No, not at all. And again, it goes back to media strategy in a, in a modern environment, in a, in a fast-changing environment. It's and, 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 not or, or, or. And that's what we're trying to be. We're trying to be better rather than But there's bigger. only a limited pool of money. <laughs> there is, and you have to make choices. Uh, and, so and sometimes is- there can be an or, or at least you're going to have to try an or. Yeah, you are. And we push into particular spaces. And also, you know, we use, if you will, analysis and data to make sure we're educated to make those choices. We just had consumer modeling come back in, analyzing the last three years of our sales across every dimension. Guess what? We're seeing some amazing numbers from radio. I mean, that's not cool. And it's not expected. But we, and, and we nearly fell off our chair. <laughs> and now we're going back. And it turns out in certain markets, in, for certain brands, radio is good you know who's who's thinking that and we have to be as an industry and as a community we have to be careful to keep asking the questions and not all just jump off saying it must be true because everybody's saying it i'm not saying there's the data is not the thing it's the thing we know that but let's not also forget that some of the things that we've been doing for a long time also have a role to play Let's go back a little bit just to kind of, you know, knowing that it works as well, because I think, you know, you're clearly pushing an innovation testing agenda, both when it comes to spending marketing money, but also just creating new products and trying new things there. Knowing it works is then sort of the second bit of it and sort of whether it's ad verification or measurement, how much of that is a concern? Um it's it's challenging because of course your a the level of information you have is greater than ever before in many cases so your feedback loop is much more if you will rich and that means your analysis capability has to increase you know exponentially and you have to do it Hi, and we have, have to, to do, do it, it yourselves yeah. yeah and we're very fortunate we have a you know, as an organization we invested in consumer intelligence our cmi divisions globally are recognized as being amongst the best in the world and we got on that very early um you know and we were moving past the the fundamentals of 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 if you will, business validation, the, the Millward Brown link tests and so on, long before people were moving off that world. And so uh, our intelligence function is, is very developed and we make sure that that, as I mentioned earlier, is, has a very international component. So you see a lot of different insights from around the world. And we're hiring new people. I mean, you know, again, in marketing in Heineken, did you have data scientists five years ago? Well, no. Do we have them now? Yes. So you're building capabilities that 
in many places, in many companies or marketing organizations, simply didn't, they didn't do it. They either outsourced it or they just didn't do it at all. Yeah. And you're bringing in your layer to check. It's not to say that we will build those functions in their entirety. Our strategy in this space is, is to work with third parties. But again, as we did in the media space uh, forever and ever, as we did in the advertising space, we also didn't build an in-house creative department. We outsourced it, but we always had in-house creative experts. Well, we're not building a data department per se, but we are insourcing expertise to make sure that our assets and our spend is protected and that we can believe what we think we're seeing. Mm -hmm. And that's an exciting time, but it's challenging. Looking, looking at it as just looking at the industry as a marketer, sort of taking Heineken out of it for a little bit. I mean, one of the big things now is marketers are taking back control. They want to do a more themselves. A lot of them, I find, are still sort of doing what I call hybrid models. They're working with a lot of outside partners, but also really, really kind of taking things back in-house quite a bit just mm-hmm. to make sure that, again, oh, just because creatives outside doesn't mean there aren't any creatives inside. Just because products outside doesn't mean products not inside. How much is sort of this in-house movement um, of interest to you? I think you're looking to make sure there's a layer of expertise uh, in your organization that will allow you to be creative, to be relevant, to deploy your media in the right way. Um, whether or not, I mean, speaking to our our world, I don't see us, you know, bringing, for example, advertising in-house. We just see it as such a specialized skill. Um, but it goes a little bit to the DNA of your brand and, and to your organization. So. I mean, I don't think you see consensus in the industry. And particularly, you mentioned earlier, data, for example. Like a lot of client organizations are just bringing it all in because they've had maybe a bad experience or they're just not sure what what, they're, what they've got. I mean, beyond the Airbnbs and, and the native organizations that you'd expect. But let's say in our world, whether it's Colgate or Coca-Cola or us. Um, and, and so there is definitely uh, an argument, and if you will, I, I think an increasing movement to bring some of that stuff in-house. But how sustainable is that? Um, how, you know, also the practical challenges in your industry, like what's your career path? If you're a data scientist in Airbnb, there is a definitive long-term career path for you. If you're a data scientist at Heineken, you're going to be our data scientist. Are you then going to become the, the brand manager? I mean, that, that's a big jump. So, or a different jump, not big. But it is a jump. Um, You know, so we also have to be conscious when we bring people in that we build potentially careers for them. And that's always a challenge when you have a high degree of specialization. Mm -hmm. So as an industry, which is why advertising is a great example, high degree of specialization. And then you and we and you've seen this a thousand times is your head of advertising in a big client organization eventually runs out of road. And turns up in Saatchi or turns up wherever. So They just go back and forth as I they, see it. <laughs> and then they sell stuff to themselves and, and, and it works really beautifully. So, yeah, I mean, degree of specialization means that I think you'll see more insourcing and more stuff coming into the organizations. Will it be, if you will, the full service deployment? Um Complex, I say, and it, and it has a multidimensional impact on your organization. It does. You ha- you're also... As a leader in an organization, you have to think beyond the structure. You have to think that these aren't people's jobs. These are their careers and these are their lives. So you have a high degree of responsibility. If you're going to insource stuff, well, then the question has to be with what purpose and what happens next? Because you have a responsibility to the people that you bring in. Mm -hmm. So it's a complex space. I hear sort of two main arguments when it comes to kind of why this may be happening in certain parts of the market. One is... Who knows our product better than our own people? At the end of the day, nobody's going to know Heineken marketing better than you, right? Um, the other one is sort of oh, the trust thing. We have to. We, do, we don't feel like we, we can only trust our own people. 
buy any of these? No, I don't buy the trust thing. I mean, I think brilliant marketeers and, and brilliant commercial people, brilliant salespeople, um, 99% of everyone's trying to do the right thing. And I don't think you can build your business for the for the 0.5% who might do the wrong thing. Uh, we all joke to each other in the industry at the NDA, you know, I mean, what does it really mean? Because the word's out, and you know, you have a job to do. Your job is to be around town, find out what's going on. And somehow you manage to do that. So I don't buy this idea that you can only trust your own people. I also don't buy that only our people know what to do. Um, I think you got to surround yourself in a modern context with a, a coalition of really smart people. Like your number one objective is to think if you can surround yourself and sort of build a community of really clever people, mm-hmm. typically and ideally people who are way smarter than you, then good things can happen. And this concept of put your arms around it, you know, this proprietary ownership of brands. I just don't buy it. You've got to do what's right and what's consistent. And like the fundamental principle of brand building is consistency. It, it Remember, go back to 101. A brand is a, you know, a collection of symbols and beliefs that allows people to identify. It's a shortcut. So as long as it's consistent and as long as it makes sense, then it's going to resonate. Right. That consistency could equally come from a drinker of Heineken as it could come from a CMO of Heineken. Because I think the folks in the bar next door who hopefully by now are enjoying a few Heinekens, I think they know a lot about the brand as well. It's about 3.30. Give yeah, them another 20 minutes. You know, it's 8.30 in Ireland where I grew up. So uh, <laughs> Somewhere somebody is It's drinking. always time somewhere, yeah. Um, it, it, that's an interesting idea, sort of, you know, the idea of consistency. Because I think anybody who's building any business, whether it's media or... Um, brands or agencies, any kind of company always sort of wonders as they grow about consistency. You have to keep the message consistent. You have to keep your who your identity is consistent. And I think the more people you add, the tougher that gets, understandably, because humans are different. Um, tell me a little bit about sort of internally, you know, staying consistent to a brand message and a promise and just how hard that is and how you do it. Yeah, it's 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 tough because the first trapdoor is that consistency um, can very quickly turn into boredom or complacency. Complacency. Right? It's like, we, it. Well, it looks like it always looked like, so right. that makes it okay. Not true. Consistency is about the core, like the underlying truth or the underlying brand belief. Those things don't change. Um, you could talk to someone about, you know, what is Heineken about? And they'll use different language, but there's a sense of what we're about. The same way there's a sense of what uh, Rolex is about or uh, Sushedo is about. I mean, we kind of know it, even if we can't always explain it. So the first trick on consistency is to make sure that it's true to what your brand belief is and what you know to be authentic for the brand. And you got to, but you've got to make sure it stays interesting and that it stays relevant. So you're using consistency as the base, but you're constantly trying to push to make sure you're driving the edges of what that means and also reinterpreting what that means for a newer audience or a different audience. So it's not about changing your stripes, but it is about making sure that that resonates in a different way for different people. So internally, what you've got to do is make sure, one, there's total clarity on who are we, what do we believe, what do we stand for as a brand, and then the same time as that gives you, if you will, the safety blanket, you've then got to push like crazy to make sure, are we pushing it far enough to make sure it stays fresh? Because actually, the greatest brands in the world have had consistency in their core, but they've reinterpreted it again and again and again. And that's where you get the best of both worlds. I know what you're about. So I feel like I can buy into that. But you're interesting. 
because nobody wants only consistent. Like my grandmother is consistent, but she's not exciting. So well, she's oh, very Brad. exciting, actually, it turns out. <laughs> but, you know, it's that sort of sense of I know what I'm getting, but we're also keeping it fresh. Do you think that there is sort of a lack of agility issue overall in marketing? It depends on the category. I mean, I, I think if we're honestly looking at the last five years or three years or whatever it constitutes trend these days, there's a lot of really incredible stuff happening. Um, I think what, so I don't see that there's a lack of agility. I do see that in the industry, there's a degree of stress because as a CMO and, and for all of us, I think your world has turned upside down. Like we're doing things that we never did before. So your our, job's gotten harder. Our job's gotten way harder and we're not getting paid anymore. So that's obviously a challenge, you know, but I think we have to do things that are so different. So you feel sometimes pressure and that can tighten you up. And and the biggest, a really big challenge as a marketeer is to kind of stay, if you will, a little bit loose mm -hmm. and relaxed. I mean, there's a kind of, don't want to default to sports metaphor, but like if it's, you must hit this, you know, you must hit this ball, that's the one sure fire time, you're not going to hit it. You must make this putt, you must serve this ace. Oh, that's not how it works. You got to stay calm. And because our world has kind of if you will turn a little bit upside down and it is a bit tougher and we're all trying to do new things that don't all work and we don't all understand fundamentally, then it can have the result of tightening people up and then you lose a bit the creativity. Do you meditate? Uh, I breathe a lot in the car. You uh, breathe. But I mean, I get New York traffic, so uh, I have a lot of time <laughs> to sit Bre there. And breathing breathe. is good for you. Yeah. Um, you made a big e-commerce push recently in the U.S., and I know you've done e-commerce for years outside the U.S. Um, tell me a little bit about that and sort of what kind of the goal for that was and kind of what the idea behind that was. Yeah, I mean, I think if we look to the U.S. market, e-commerce and beer is relatively underdeveloped, um, which is interesting because as a as, as a market in general, e-commerce is, you know, over indexes here. So it's about 0.4% of the beer world. Um, for us, we're making a play into convenience, into draft at home, which allows people to enjoy draft beer. And a, a great example, we know, for example, millennials really prefer draft beer but why do I have to go to a bar only to get it what if we could bring that home like Nespresso changed the world of coffee so we've started actually with solution first and obviously used e-commerce as a way to bring those solutions to particular markets that we've selected so it's if you will a first step into that space um, what's exciting is our retail partners whether it's Kroger or Walmart uh, Publix downside they're all starting to really um, push into this home delivery space which we think is an opportunity so um, you know beer in general has a, uh, is quite if you will well suited to the e-commerce space it's heavy um it's it's big um you need it quickly so aren't they a so convenience is a challenge um aren't they many of the things that we see in in spaces where e-commerce thrives so why not beer um and certainly it's a space that's emerging we can continue to keep an eye on it is it the the core strategy for us and at the core of a business? No, but do we feel it has a role to play? For sure. And I guess the, the ultimately the folks at Amazon will also have, have a say in all this. Excellent. Uh, we're going to head into the last portion of the Q&A, sure. which is rapid fire. You're going to give me very quick answers to just prompts that I'm going to give you. All righty. You ready? I'm ready to go. Amazon. Big. Facebook. Better. Brand. Consistency. Lifestyle brand. Airbnb. Not Heineken? I don't, I don't get to say that. Marketing. Getting harder. Instagram. Very cool. Agencies. 
mostly good. Mostly nice. good. Nice one. Snapchat. Excellent. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yes. Bullish on Snapchat. Well, I am because they say things in a very simple way. And we met them recently. We were out west uh, on a sort of digital safari, let's call it, where we spend a bit of time with partners. And I just like the simplicity of what they said, which was, we help you to get to people who are difficult to find. As, as a proposition, as a CMO, that's a very interesting statement. And that's a great example of a platform who really kind of, you know, changed itself to make sure that it could work with alcohol advertisers, given obvious age gating issues, obvious things that they skew very young. Yeah. And that's something we have to be very, very careful. And we're, you know, we're taking baby steps with Snapchat. And again, it's not, is it better or worse or instead of Facebook or, you know, it's in addition to, and it's part of a media ecosystem, but I like their fundamental position and what they're selling because in, in our world, these platforms are advertising platforms. And what they're saying to us is we help you get to people that aren't that easy to find. I find that very interesting. I like that they're taking responsibility seriously and we have a huge, huge focus on that space. We will not go to places. We will not do things that put our brands into places they should not be because as an alcohol producer, that is at the core of what we do. Um, But they're taking the right steps. Their attitudinal sort of play on this is is really exciting and, and they're just cool people. So yeah, it was a lot of fun to see them and I found it to be a really compelling proposition. Ad fraud? Getting better. I wish I knew more. Viewability. Uh, who, who cares? I <laughs> who mean, knows? Uh, who knows? I mean, you tell me, uh, you know. <laughs> oh, maybe for another time. Right. Yeah. Favorite beer? Um, Tiger. Oh. Yeah, we have My a My favorite from, too. Really? Yeah. Okay, well, we should. Uh, Brewed down the road from me in Singapore. Awesome, yeah. yeah. So I didn't know that, but uh, yeah, brewed since 1939 in Singapore. For us, it's really small here in the US. I think eventually it's going to be huge. Um, but it's just a gorgeous beer. And sometimes, like for all the complexity, if you make something that's beautiful, people kind of like it. And that's very reassuring. Absolutely. Great. Johnny, thank you so much for being on the show. Okay. Glad to meet you. That's Johnny Cahill, US CMO at Heineken. Our producer is Gianna Capadona. If you like the show, please subscribe. We're on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and anywhere podcasts are found. Leave us a review and rate the show. I'm Shreen Patek. We'll see you next week.